as he did say, this is National Youth Pastor Day. I remember last year, it was like New Year's Day, so I went to bed like before the ball dropped. I didn't get to celebrate, I didn't get to hang out, nothing like that. So this is a little bit better. We're, we're rocking and rolling here. Uh, but I'm glad that you guys are here this morning, uh, and I do hope that you had an amazing time with your family during Christmas. Hope you got uh, plenty of family to come in, hang out, have a good time. I know that my family did. We relaxed. We took it easy this year, which was a huge blessing. Uh, we were able to kind of kick back, put, put our feet up, have people over, eat a big old Christmas ham, and call it a day. So I love that. Uh, but we're at the point now where we're kind of moved past Christmas. All the wrapping paper is thrown away and uh, things like that. And we're gearing up for the new year. And I am convinced that this week between Christmas and New Year's is the worst week in the world. Uh, so here's why. Here's why. Uh, because everybody has started to set goals for the new year, and this is the last week they can do everything that is not that goal. So they're doing all the opposite things they know they're not supposed to be doing. So for like most people, I, I'm one. I'm like every year there's always like, I'm gonna get in better shape. I'm gonna have a. I'm gonna lose some lbs and we're gonna get right. Uh, so this week it's like where, where's the fudge? Uh, I don't know what salad is. I need coke. I don't want to drink water or anything like that. I'm gonna gorge out and get all the calories just to set myself up to hold out for another year. It doesn't last very long, honestly. <laughs> but, uh, but in all seriousness, I do love goal setting. I think it's a great thing to kind of set a target so that way you can kind of track where you're going and see progress throughout the year. Uh, but my, my hope for you guys is that your main goal would be to, to strive in godliness more than you did in the past year, that your goal would be to look more like Christ in 2019 than you did in 2018. Uh, in a way that this will happen and give you some kind of structure for that is with biblical community. Uh, and so that's what we're going to kind of talk about today is biblical community and what that kind of looks like, some aspects of it, some things you need to fight for in that community. Uh, but before we dive into that, as we've kind of heard throughout this deal, this is a family service. So there's a couple of things with that. One, the sermon's going to be a little shorter. Praise him. Won't he do it? We get to get out of here. Um, and... Two, we have set up a crying room. So if little Jimmy John is upset and can't get, uh, it's all right, hey. Somebody has a kid named Jimmy John, so y'all laughing at that person. It's not nice. It's not nice. Uh, but we have set up a, a TV in the student lounge. It's in there that's streaming the service. So if you need to, to take your child or whoever's crying and go in there, uh, that's perfectly fine, and that's okay. Uh, so you won't miss a thing. There's sound in there, a whole nine yards. You're good to go. Uh, which, is, which is an amazing thing that we can be connected in that way. Technology has provided us a way to not necessarily be physically present, but yet still connected. Uh, is more, if they're more connected through other, through, than, any, than ever, you can video chat family into events when they're not there. You can make, nowadays you share emails, documents, you can even cast vision uh, for things that work through apps like Slack. You can text people all over the world. Uh, our uh, teaching pastor in the Brussels campus, Jordan Rabin, uh, is one of my good friends. And man, we, we text once every other week or something like that. We'll shoot some things back and forth. And it's like he's still here. It's instant. Technology has provided the way to stay connected with people when they're really not here. Some of you guys use this to uh, look up your neighbors, uh, to, to see what's kind of going on, see how they live their lives. Uh, also, you can see how people really feel on social media uh, and things like that, and all without coming face-to-face -face with anyone. People have signed multi-million dollar contracts through apps without having to do the all-respected handshake. You don't have to come face-to-face. -face. We're connected through our phones. 
And even right now, there, there may be some of you in here that are fighting the urge to pull your phone out, check emails, check documents, send texts, all of those things. It's, it's just got almost like a hold on us that we have to be uh, on this phone all the time, all this power in the palm of our hands. Some of us even have uh, fo- followers or friends on these social media platforms in the hundreds or even thousands. And I always see that and ask the question, how many of those people do you honestly know? How many of them do you deeply communicate with? Not just, I'm going to like this person's post and follow them. No, but man, how, how, how are you communicating with them on a deeper level? Because honestly, studies have shown, although we are vastly more connected with technology and things like that, in our physical lives, we are drastically disconnected more than we have ever been before. We're more alone now with all of this technology than we have ever been before. The current kind of generation and thing going around right now is this thing called Alone Together. Uh, it's where you can be in a room of people, five people, one person, 100 people, 1,000 people, and be on your phone scrolling, doing whatever, and not communicating with anybody that is around you. So therefore, you're on this phone alone, but you're still in a room of people, so you're together, hence the name, Alone Together. Uh, and if I'm honest, I've fallen victim to this. I mean, you can ask Alexis, my wife, she's like, I'll come home from a long day. I want to stretch out on the couch. I want to hang out. And I'll pull my phone. I'm just going to delete these emails real quick. And it turns into 12 other things. And I blink, and it's time to go to bed. Uh, and I'm like, what, what, what happened here? And she's like, well, you were on your phone the whole time. I'm sorry. Whoops. Uh, so it kind of turns into something like that. We've all fallen victim to that. And it creates this sense of loneliness. And because of things like that that we can fall into with technology, we... Um, don't really know how to, to find, start, or maintain relationships with people. It becomes too complicated when we have to do things face-to-face. And because of this, I was reading a study um, uh, when I was researching for this. There's a study that was taken in 2010 that with our loneliness, it has physical effects on us. It's like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness, that's the physical effects it takes on your body because we were not designed to be alone. We were designed for community. So with that, should we just smash our phones and go back to life before technology or anything like that? (laughs) I was going to say no, but uh, get it. Uh, but hear, hear me say, though, hear me say, though, I'm going to say no, but because it allows us to communicate with family members that are spread out all over the world. But I do think there needs to be vast parameters put around use of technology within the home, within friend groups, with, with anybody, so that way we don't fall victim to this essential timeless vortex that disconnects us from the people we're around. Because... I don't think that our problem of loneliness is really a tech problem, nor do I think it's just a modern-day problem that's come about by just today, because St. Jerome is an author in the year 347, and he said, a friend is long sought, hardly found, and difficultly kept. So the easy way out of everything is to pull out our phones when things get awkward or things get tough or we just want to check out. That's the easy thing to do. Man, we have to fight for friendship. We have to seek those things out. We have to be willing to work through the hard things. 
So our problem here is that we've disconnected our own identity and lost what God has created us to be. Our society, through living our society, has groomed us to be alone. It's groomed us that we can do everything on our own. I am who I want to be. I can do this on my own. I can build all these things by myself. And that's really not true. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis. Uh, It's the first book in the Bible. And in that first couple of pages of the book of Genesis, we see creation, uh, which is God creating everything in heaven and on earth and everything else. Uh, He created plants and animals, the sun, moon, stars, oceans, and lands, and a dude named Adam. And he said that it was good. He created all things and said it was good. Uh, Everything fulfilled God's purpose perfectly. But when we get to this passage in Genesis 2.18, things kind of shift a little bit. Genesis 2.18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make him a helper fit for him. Well, why is it that it isn't good that man should be alone? Everything else was good. Everything was created how it should have been. So why is it not good that man should be alone? Flip back to Genesis 1.26. Uh, And this is where we see God say, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then you see verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Uh, And in this verse, it's where we see that we were made in the image of God. This is why it is not good that man should be alone. Because if you look at that passage, you see language like, let us Make man in our image after our likeness. Our God, our one God, has eternally existed in three persons. It's called the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Now, that is a deep doctrine that we don't have time to unfold today, but this is what we're going to talk about. It's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God in and of himself is the perfect representation of community and relationship. One God, three persons. He's the perfect representation of community and relationship. So this is why it's not good that we should be alone because we being created by God to bear the image of God will take on attributes of God. So therefore, he's hardwired into our souls a longing and need and necessity for community. And so with our society, it has shifted that. So you could kind of be sitting there. I was like, okay, if this is true, why am I not experiencing this now? Why is it so hard for me to find a true biblical community that I can pour myself out to and do life with? Well, the issue that we're going to face and see is something we've been plagued with since the day we were born. That's sin. Sin has not only fractured our perfect relationship with God and separated us from him, but it's also fractured relationships with each other, with us, between man and woman or or anything like that. It's fractured relationship And the only way to get back to that or have that restored is in Christ. And it's honestly kind of what we just celebrated at Christmas, the hope of a Savior. He was born in a manger. He lived the perfect life we could not live. He was tempted in every way, yet never sinned. He was nailed to the cross. He died. He was buried in the tomb. And three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. So that those who would believe in him would have eternal life and forgiveness of sin. And when that forgiveness of sin comes, we then restore, God God restores in us the image of himself. 
So therefore, we can begin to kind of work and mold and get back to the original design that God had intended. Now, I say that, and I want you to hear me say, this doesn't mean it's going to be easy. When Christ saves you, right now you are still in the world. So you're going to be rubbing against everything that the world wants to build. So it's not going to be easy. It's actually going to be pretty hard. There's a couple of things that we should fight for in our biblical community, even when it's hard. Colossians 3.14 provides great insight to those things that we need to fight for. So I want to read that with you guys this morning before we move on. Colossians 3.9-14 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, where there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So the three things I want to pull out from this passage that we need to fight for in our biblical community is diversity, authenticity, and perseverance. Three, those are just some of the things we need to fight for, but the big ones. We have the power to fight for these things because of the work that Christ has done on the cross for us and the continued daily ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is only through Christ that you can see people from all walks of life come together and function as one body called the church. It is in Christ that we get to see that. I want to hone in on a minute in that passage on verse 11 uh, on the word Scythian. Now, we could read that and not think anything about it and keep moving, but I want to kind of hone in on that for a little bit and look at that because it's easy to pass over. But these, this is a people group. Now, these people are on the northern coast of the Black Sea. These people were absolutely hated. They were extremely violent. They were extremely uncivilized and uneducated. It, it goes so far to say that these people were the most inferior that they could probably think of. They were worse than a barbarian. Uh, but Paul intentionally mentions them in the scope of salvation. Why? Because no one is beyond salvation. The gospel is for all people. No matter uh, what skin color you have, no matter your background, no matter if you are educated or uneducated, no matter your past, no matter anything, I don't care what you've done or what anyone has done, they are not too far gone to be restored through the gospel. And honestly, if we're kind of mulling over this, we're under construction in and of ourselves. So my hope is that this church would be a place where people can come find love and grace and mercy and unity in the body. That, the, that we would fight for diversity in this church. That we would welcome people when they come through these doors, no matter what they look like. Who cares? They're in this church, and with the hour to however long they have in here, they should feel accepted, loved, and they should feel mercy and grace of God. We should fight for that and see that. And what if we did that? What if we welcomed the people that walk through our doors. But, not, but also, what if we were not only the agents of change in our church, but our culture? 
Think about your workplace or your social circles. What if you were an agent of change in those environments? And I, and I preach this to students all the time. I preach this to students all the time because heaven is not going to be a place of one skin color or one language. The gospel is for all tribes, tongues, and languages. So therefore, when we pray a prayer like, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we should be striving to make his will done. And his will is that all peoples would hear the gospel. That's why our identity in our church is to live sin. That's why we have campuses in Brussels and Bangkok and partnerships all over the world. Because we want to live out diversity in the gospel. And when we're here, we should be willing to fight for that. Is everyone that you talk to and everyone that you hang out with just like you? I say this to students all the time. And if, if, if this is you, what are you going to do to change it? If everyone I talk to has the same skin color as me, in my heart, that's an issue. Because I need to be open to talking to anyone and everyone about Jesus. And my circles to reflect the gospel. This is why my wife and I have expressed a call to adopt one day. Whatever that may be. I want to adopt a child that doesn't look like me. And, he, and hear me say there's nothing wrong with adopting a child that does look like you. That is still a beautiful picture of the gospel. A beautiful picture of the gospel. But God has laid on my heart and in my wife's heart to adopt a child that doesn't look like us at all. Because it is a daily reminder of the power of the gospel. What a beautiful picture to be represented in my own family. Each and every day of the power of the gospel. And in that, we should fight for authenticity. In, in our biblical communities, we should fight for diversity and we should fight for authenticity. It's being real, being honest, being vulnerable, and being open. Has anyone heard of this? It's a company I, uh, called Post Secret. Anybody heard of that? Nobody heard of it in first service either. <laughs> this is a company that a guy named Frank Warren started. And this company literally is exactly what it sounds like. He sent out postcards when it started to a couple hundred people. And what he wanted them to do was artistically or just write down their secrets on this postcard anonymously so they wouldn't be traced back to them. Write them down this card and mail it back in. So that happened. And it built over time to now where millions of people all over the world are sending in, are sending in pictures now of their secrets. They write down a card. They send it in. There's, there's a website for it. There's books about it. There's even conferences that talk about this. It's crazy. And, and it's still going on today. People continue to pour themselves out. And Frank said, said this about people's secrets. Listen to this. They're all expressing the same taboos and longing and heartbreak and hope. We think that secrets separate us and make us different. But if you find the courage to share them, we shatter that illusion. We see that secrets aren't walls, they're bridges. This should be a mark of the church. This should be a mark that is imprinted upon the biblical community that you're doing life with. We need to be transparent with the body. Now, I'm not talking about coming up here and getting in a line and we're going to go down, what was your sin, what's your sin, what's your sin, what's your sin. We're not going to do that. 
My hope is that with these groups that we're launching in January, or if you have a current group, that you would plug in and get tight knit and bear your baggage with those people. Be authentic. Man, what are you struggling with? What are you great at? What's something that you, can, you need prayer for in your life? And I want you to hear me say there is no condemnation for those found in Christ Jesus. These were words that were said to me when I bared my baggage and the things I struggle with. There is no condemnation found for those in Christ Jesus. Beautiful words that are true. So I want you, this is easier said than done, to stop worrying about what other people think. Our goal on the forefront of our minds, if we're striving to be godlier than we were in the new year, than in the last year, we have to be authentic in our communities. We have to start worrying more about what matters to God than what matters to the world. It isn't the world first, it's God first. So therefore, you should worry about what he has placed on your life, what he has called you to do, no matter the cost. And I say no matter the cost because in our authenticity, things may get a little sketchy. (laughs) I'm not naive to think that when we come together and we start bearing one another's burdens, it's going to be easy. There's going to have to be hard conversations. There's going to have to be moments where you have no idea what is going to happen, but you're trusting the Lord. We have to fight to persevere through it all. Colossians 3, 13 through 14 says, Bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Perfect harmony. Bearing with one another is not easy, like I said. It's going to be extremely hard. You have to dig deep, have tough conversations, and be, be able to do that. Our, the issue we're kind of looking at is that our society has created this, this thought and ideology that when things get hard, we can bail out and move on. I'm going to roll on to the next thing. I'm going to roll on to the next thing and to the next thing and to the next thing. I want to keep people at bay. I don't want them to know anything about me. I don't want them to know my struggles. I want to seem perfect. And when someone figures something out, we move on to a new environment. I mean, look, look at Hollywood marriages, per se. They last like a match striking. Why? Because people get bored. They're like, ah, this isn't kind of mean what I want. I'm going to move on. It can be the same thing with employment. When things get hard and it's not going the way that you think it should, what do you do? Our society tends to bail out instead of pressing in and fighting through it. With our biblical communities, this is going to happen. There are going to be hard conversations. And I would encourage you, church, to not just bail out when things get tough. Or even when things are extremely easy. You don't feel like you're going anywhere. Man, mull over that. Think about that. What can you do to dive deeper as a group? Whether it's serving, book studies, I don't know anything else. But what can you do to persevere and dive into what's going on? We must work through our differences. We have to work through them. It's critical to bear with one another because we are a people of reconciliation because we have been reconciled with God in Christ. Scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died. 
So when we spit in the face of God and said, I want nothing to do with you, God still died for you and said, I want you. So therefore, if we're going to be image bearers of Christ and live a life that models him, we have to be willing to work through things that are tough. That when stuff doesn't go your way, persevere, push through. This is the importance of having a biblical community, though. Because a lot of the times when we do this, we can get tired. We can grow weary. And when, when we want to just ball up, the, the biblical community comes around us and lifts our hands. I'm speaking about this with, exam, with, with examples in my own life. If you, looked at, if you could take a microscope in my life, you would see the importance of having biblical community. That you cannot run this race that Christ has set before you by yourself. And I would encourage you, again, in that community, let it be, I don't care if it's married, singles, uh, divorcees, whatever. You, whatever. I, in that group, if they're believers and they're running hard after Christ, it does not matter what walk of life they're in. My small group right now has another couple that is the same age as, I, as, as me and my wife are, 25. And there's another couple that's a little bit older that have two children. This is a beautiful example and learning curve for us to be able to see how a biblical model of the home is laid out each and every week that we meet together. Half the time, the, the kids are running crazy. That's a typical home that's being authentic. It's being real and being vulnerable. Turn on music. The kids, they were talking about Shout Hosanna. The little girl's name is Finley. She loves Shout Hosanna. She dances and she has a good time when we play that song. And also in this group, I'm able to bear my burdens with them. I'm able to be drugged through tough things that are going on in my life. These people know things about me that no one else does. And it's for the sole reason that I know they will look at me and love me unconditionally and pull me through and point me to the cross. So that way I can keep running the race. That I can throw off every weight and sin that clings so closely and chase after Christ. This is the importance of biblical community. And I do not care what walk of life you are in or what your situation looks like. You need this. Because you cannot do this life on your own. You will fail. You will revert back to your old ways. You need people to speak truth into your life even when you don't want to hear it. This is why it's important to have biblical community. So I say all that this morning to say biblical community is hard. It's never going to be easy. Even with the restoration that Christ has given us in sending his son Jesus. We're mended back to the Father and we can mend our relationship back together with other people. But it's never going to be easy. We have to fight for diversity, to fight to be authentic, to be real and be vulnerable. We have to fight to persevere through those hard things. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 is a classic passage on community. It says this, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
Each and every one of us in this room have an important role in the church. And to accomplish this role, you need to be in community. You need to be in biblical, Christ-exalting community. And we're going to provide ways for you to do that. Like David said earlier in January, we're launching new life groups. We're going to be transitioning those from small groups to life groups. Because we want you to do life with these people. In every aspect, we want you to do life with them. So on January 13th and the 20th, the leaders of those new groups that we're launching and the ones that are open are going to be out here in the Next Steps area. You'll be able to kind of go up, meet them, ask them kind of what's going on. You could call it speed dating for small groups. I don't know. Uh, so you could do that and kind of dive into that with them and chit-chat and, and, and figure out kind of what's going on. Just kind of sticking your toe in the water to fill it out. And we also have classes coming up that will be on Wednesday nights, and there's some, uh, some other things going up that are probably in the pamphlet uh, that they gave you um, that are, are a little bit more short-term that you'll be able to kind of get in the water and see how this thing kind of works out and also helps you connect to other people in the church. And we hope that out of that, you would launch your own small group That'll be, or life group. That would be great. Uh, we also, on January 20th, are having a um, membership class. Man, if you want to commit to gospel community in this family, we want you to be in there because you get to see uh, on a deeper level why we operate the way we operate, the things that we do, and the mission that we try to accomplish each and every day that we live our lives through this church. So if you want to do that, it's on January 13th. And I don't, and kind of as I'm wrapping up here, I don't know where um, everyone in this room is at with biblical community. And it's going to be hard, but I would hope today that you see the importance of being in a biblical community. So if you want to get connected and to find that, we would love to be able to help you do that. Because you can't do this on your own, as I said. You cannot do this on your own. I want to close with the words of a Puritan named George Swinnick. I want you to listen to this. Woe to him that is alone. David was alone when Satan drew him to defile his neighbor's wife. While the sheep flock together, they are safe as being under the shepherd's eye. But if one straggle from the rest, it is quickly a prey to the ravenous wolf. It is no hard matter to rob that house that stands far from neighbor's. The cruel pirate Satan watches for those vessels that sail without a convoy. So church, my question to you is who is your convoy? Who are you sailing with? Who are you going through life with? My hope is that you would find biblical community, dive in, and run the race that Christ has set before you. Let us pray. Father, I love you, and I thank you for this church. My prayer is that we would fight for diversity in our church. We would fight for authenticity in our church, and we would fight to persevere when things get tough in our church. God, I'm so thankful 
for a leadership that pours themselves out with the ultimate goal that we would hear the beautiful words, come in my good and faithful servant. Praise God when that privilege comes. Father, I pray that in this time between then and now that we would surround ourselves with people that love you, to do life with, that we can pour ourselves out and navigate the tough things in hopes to be a brighter picture of you by the end of it. God, I pray for the people in here that have yet to taste biblical community. I pray that you would place on them a desire and a want and a need to find that. I not only pray for that desire, but I pray that you would provide it. That you would provide a way for us to look more like you, God. Father, and I pray that if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, that is far from you, draw them to yourself. Because there is no one too far from your reach, God. You are a heavenly Father who loves us, who cares for us, and yearns for us, God. And may the people that are running from you feel that. May there be an uneasiness set in their heart and in their souls that only you can soothe, God. A beautiful gift of salvation. May you be exalted in this church. In your precious and holy name we pray.